Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our readers and listeners of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy the discussion. Remind our audience to examine the show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion, we want to say thanks for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Cindy W., Mike G., Rob C., Peter S., and Florian B. On the show today is returning guest Daniel Major. Daniel is Chief Executive Officer of Goviex Uranium, a Niger-focused uranium development company finalizing the Matawela project for the construction process. The company is listed on the Toronto Venture Exchange under the symbol GXU and also on the U.S. OTC markets under the symbol GVXXF. Daniel, welcome back to the show. Thank you. We seek to entertain. Well, thank you for coming back and let's get into it a little bit. Uh, your thoughts on this uranium market and where have you set your expectations going into 2020? Interesting, because I've just been doing a whole bunch of stuff at the one-to-one, -one, as I said to you before we came on the show. And I think my my summary for the year has been, if you looked at in general, it's been a good year, other than the price. Um, you look at where the WNA came out with their um, fuel cycle report. You know, you've had an upturn in the demand forecasts. Their reference case now showing 2% per annum growth on the back of the existing reactors um, with the 55 new reactors being built uh, to go alongside that. You've had the French government now extending out the life of their reactors and not reducing from 75 to 50% generation until now at least 2035. And you probably expect that to get kicked a little further. And in fact, the government asking EDF to put in proposals for six new reactors um, as well. I think more importantly, the US as well, and this was highlighted by the, the WNA working group, was you know, instead of forecasting a decline in reactors in the US, they're now looking very much at a steady state proposal. Um, most states have now got some form of subsidy in place to protect their reactors. There have been a number of challenges, but so far nothing has removed any of those subsidies. But more importantly, a lot of talk now about some of the utilities extending the life of the reactors. A lot of the reactors are coming to their 40-year lives. Applications are in for reactors now to go to 60 and 80 years. So I think we've got a, a good underpin out there um, and obviously got the, the Chinese growth, et cetera. But I think it's just been a, um, a, a change on the demand side. And, you know, uh, We've gone through many of the sort of stages that you would have of any event that's negative. You know, you've gone through the anger and the grieving and it, you know, consolidation. And, and that's kind of where we, I feel this industry has got itself to with a, an improvement in, in the demand outlook, much more positive news coming through. Uh, on the supply side, obviously, you've had the actions of Cameco and, and Kazatomprom. And I think probably that's where there's, there's some sort of, okay, okay, you know, this all happened, what happened? You know, Cameco at the beginning of the year said they were had to buy all this material. They started, uranium price popped up to 29 and then they came out and said, well, we're actually the only guys driving on the highway. So we don't like that, we're going into the rest stop. Um, and what they did instead was just draw down inventories, um, uh, it, which was fair. Uh, thing to do. Um, you, they needed to have a solid footing out there. They now have to come back into the market. They've got seven million pounds this year. You know, the last week or so, there's certainly been a report of producer buying, um, which I assume is them. Um, so I think, you know, we're going to see that improving. Um, you've seen a, a big turnaround on the en enrichment pricing out there, and you've started to see a pickup on the SUI price. Uh, the only thing we've not really seen is it flow through to the U3A. So I, I still remain confident. I think we've gone through a lot of the, the pain. Inventories are, have been declining. I, I look forward to next year. Uh, I think we'll see you know, improvement over the back of this year as well still. And any thoughts on this U.S. fuel group debacle or any whisperings uh, that you've heard on long-term contracting? Uh, I've seen lots of little bits of rumor. I, I think ultimately... 
the fact it's taking so long it probably tells me it's going to be an advanced fence sitting experience um, with nothing really major being done. Um, but what it will do at least is remove uh, the uncertainty that's been hanging around. Um, you know, I, I mean, I've heard, you know, there's other issue out there as well still, which is the Iran um, situation. Someone was telling me the other day, to remain nameless, was that, you know, the number of utilities have actually been thinking that the uh, Russian um, 20% uh, number was potentially going to be removed and therefore some utilities have been buying up additional material to protect themselves in case the the sanctions occur and then you think well if that doesn't happen um, then they've got material that they can't use etc so there's a lot of rumor and conjecture um, whether they they flow through um, I don't know I think the Iran one is an interesting one because of course one of the waivers has been removed there are three more to go um, if the hawkish approach um, accelerates, that certainly will have an impact on the market. Um, it's politics, so guessing how politics is going to play out is going to be difficult. But uh, I've not really seen anything very constructive on the working group. It's been, you know, when you talk to people, it's, you know, generally at the fuel site, fuel end. Um, I've heard a couple of the US guys have been walking around road showing, saying, oh, they've been told to be to be happy. Um, but I don't know what that means. Um, so I just wait and see. And do you see, Dan, that there's any influence from maybe off-market supply deals from Kazataprom or Uranium One or both? and some of the material coming out of Olympic Dam, do you see that some of this is, is still stalling or do you see that really those those inventories and those supplies are really based on what's happening in the spot market are really drying up? Well, I mean, Olympic Dam's production numbers were down year, um, year on year. So they've actually seen their production levels drop as they've hit lower grades. Um, I don't think there's a lot coming out of Kazatomprom. I think Kazatomprom very much have got the, got the message. <laughs> Uh, of what they've got to do um, and are sticking to it and certainly you know, they're putting the message out right. Um, I think the you know the problem we had as I say you know there was an expectation of Cameco buying who didn't. They just used their own material uh, more than half their inventory to meet their contractual and that, that wasn't there. Talking to some of the trader guys you know what you had a problem with it was just there was no one in the market there was no buyers. Um, you know it was a seller's market and certainly through October um, you know, there was guys who had their quarter ends or month ends coming up who had to get rid of material. Um, and there was no real buyers out there for that material. And that really is what was driving that, that price crash. Um, but certainly when I kind of read in the UXC during November and then the other stuff, it does appear as though there are real buyers starting to turn up in the market again. Um, are they there on mass yet? No. But I certainly think we have seen a, a turnaround. Um, it could have been just price driven and we'll wait and see if that momentum keeps going. Certainly, you know, Cameco now probably don't have a lot of, don't want to sell down a lot more inventory. They've only got six million pounds of it apparently. So, you know, you can expect them probably to be more in the market. And I think that was the messaging they were giving in September at the WNA was to expect them to be in the market a lot more than they have been in the market. Um, so, you know, I think that's more important to me is, you know, it's okay having, it's not great having sellers, but the problem's worse when there are no buyers. Um, and the fact that the buyers do seem to be turning up, you know, and I think a lot of the US utilities are starting to get like, um, you know, we've actually got to go and do something. Uh, we waited long enough. Uh, and I think that's where it's coming from as well. It's going to be interesting for me to see 2020, if Cameco intends on completing some notable spot purchases, at what price they're going to try to get that done, and and really what the ceiling is, um, you know, and they don't have much space. The way I see it, they just don't have a lot of space. I, I don't see them buying at thirty a pound. I I just don't see that happening. But they're going to be forced to do it most likely, and that, in my opinion, is going to cut into their bottom line. But we're going to see what happens there. I think some people probably disagree with me on that. But let's talk about UF six and swoop prices. Yeah. How much, how, how important for you being in this market, how important is it to you to see UF6 and SWU increase? Um, I think it, it's always, because at the end of the day, guys have a choice of what they buy and where they buy it from. 
Um, you know, and it, and it's it's the same as any commodity or product that is out there. Everything is a value add through the chain. You know, why would you go and buy you know uranium expensive if you can get cheap sui that you can use? Um, and, and a lot will depend on whether the guys actually can use it um, and store it. Um, I mean that that is also important in that process. But you know, if it's if they're seeing value at the SUI end and are moving the price up, then ultimately there gets to be a point where the conversion costs and the enrichment costs now make it cheaper to come back to the other end and they will move the uranium price up. So I think that it is important that we're seeing the downstream material prices going up um, because there is a point where the asset class effectively becomes more expensive at that end. They will come back to the cheaper end of the material. Uh, it also is telling you as well, you know, that from an underfeeding point of view as well, there's less material around. So they're having to pay more for what's at that end. Um, so that is also a good sign that it's starting to flow through and that the market is starting to show signs of strength. I, I think it's, it's a good messaging. Agreed. Well, we haven't spoke for, it's been about a year. Um, what key items were accomplished in 2019 at GoVX that you want to highlight? We've always focused on, on Madawella, and I think the key one was obviously what we did with the government in the middle of the year, which was to resolve our position with them. Uh, we were obviously holding a debt on our balance sheet of 7 million euros. Uh, we had been deferring um, in dispute our area taxes on the property. Um, and then in July, we cut a deal with the government in Niger where they took a 10% um, shareholding in the company uh, at Madawella. Uh, so the, what we call Kamima, uh, the company Minier Madawella. Um, and they took that 10% stake in exchange for a $14.5 million um, non-payment from us, um, which obviously values Madawella at 145 million, which is pretty good considering well, our market cap is about 50 million. But I think what it also showed is this is at a time um, that the government had already decided that it was only going to take its free carries from now on and was not actually going to make investments in companies. Um, it you know it didn't seem any logic from a government point of view. Why would you spend your budget on assets when you then have to wait for the dividends to come back later? Um, you know, and you're not particularly wealthy as a country. Um, so this was a, a big step forward strategically from them as well. They also did a whole bunch of other things for us, and we'll come back to some of those just now. But which was the you know um, got all our mining permits, our licenses, exploration licenses back. Uh, they're big again, so that we can cut them back down as you have to under the mining code. Um, and we um, expanded the size of the mining permit as well to include more resources. So I think it really, you know, we all know now that, you know, Common Act has a fixed date, um, end of March of 2021, um, for its closure. Um, you know, and the government has really got to deal with that. Um, and so therefore the support for us is, is vital and they're, and they're giving us that support. Um, I, I don't know if you, you, that you had seen, but we also had a, a first stone laying event um, in Arlott. Um, the government were very good in the way they handled it insofar as it was a project first stone laying. It was not a construction first stone laying. Um, and uh, the president of the country came up to that event. We had 1,500 people up there and some 150 um, Touareg guys on their camels. It was a big event. We had ambassadors and ministers and MPs and all the local chiefs were there. And, you know, it was big enough to get the president up there. And it was, it was made clear that, you know, he had not been to the Arlet region since he'd become president. In fact, the last time he had been to Arlet was in the 70s when he worked for Komenak. Um, so, it, you know, again, it underpinned where Goviex sits within the greater context of Niger and the, and the support we're getting there. So, you know, that, that was a big, big step for us um, and, and, you know, lays down for us. And, and on top of that, we've got three years of no tax payments regarding all our license fees. 
Uh, and then on top of that, once we go into production and we don't have to pay anything back until we draw down on the, the debt to build the project. Um, and then on top of that, of course, we get three years of tax free once we're operating anyway. So, you know, that, that was a, a, you know, a, a major step. And I think it kind of highlights for me what we keep talking about, which is that, you know, there's nothing wrong with working in Niger. It's a great country. And people who turn around and say, you know, you don't want to work in these African countries. Niger always shows why it is a great jurisdiction to be in. Um, and they're very pragmatic about what's got to be done um, to get things to happen and move forward with it. So that, that was great. Um, the other side of it has been very much, you know, focusing on the project itself. Um, and we have made some some step changes on the way that we look at the projects. And I think, you know, what we've decided to do is, is, is on the feasibility study is, is there's no point in coming out with a great feasibility study if it's not bankable. Um, it's probably the best description of what I'm saying here. So we have sat down and said, all right, what can we, what can we do to this project to massively cut its costs? And not just cut its costs, but cut, change the design so we remove its risks. And on top of that, make sure that the thing that we then develop, we can take to the banks and get them to get it through the bankable stage that's required. Um, and that's included a number of things. One of the key ones was the mining permit change, shape change, because one of the risks we had is we would start as an open pit mine and then we were going underground, but the timing of the um, capital development for the underground was very close to the end of the would be would have been very close to the end of a debt drawdown, which is not a great place to have it. Um, and so, by bringing in that extra almost six million pounds of uranium um, in the in the resource, uh, which is uh, we ha we have previously run in it, actually all mines it all actually mines out, but uh, it's currently in resource. Um, that extends out by two, two, two and a half years, the, the length of the Miriam pit. Now that means Miriam is now big enough on its own to justify the full debt financing and it will pay down the debt and still provide a resource tail, which means that when, from a banking point of view, they don't need to worry about the underground mine. It's not a risk to them. And that's the way we're trying to design it. Um, and then on top of that, we've gone back and looked at the process design. Um, we had a, you know, as you know, we had a, we got a pretty good operating cost already on this project at, you know, twenty-four and a half dollars a pound. Um, my concern was that one, I needed to get it lower, um, and we'll come down to my targeting just now. But I wanted to get it lower, uh, but I also wanted to take out some of the technical risks um, that we had in there. We had two facets of that that were worked well um, we tested them well but were not industry standards and, and one of those was obviously ablation uh, we had ablation in there um, which you know we did a lot of work on and you know western mining have done their work on it as well because the, they own the the license in the us for it actually get around the ip quite easily but um it, it works it was just smashing slurries into each other but what that was allowing was to free the cement that's in between the the, the silica crystals which is where our uranium was sitting, uh, and they allowed us to reduce size. Uh, it, it's great from that point of view, um, but from our point of view, it was that risk of, well, it's not somewhere else. So what we've been doing is looking at alternatives, and we've done a lot of work on gravity instead. And so now we're looking at some fairly industry standard gravity techniques that are giving us very similar results to um, what ablation was doing with one additional benefit, which was the ability to reduce the volumes of calcite, the grades of calcite uh, in the feed material that would go through into the process plant. That's important because calcite is our biggest single acid consumer on the project. And acid's a big, big part of our costs. So that that we're doing the test work on at the moment. I've got it, we've done initial test work. Some fuller test work is going on at the moment down in Johannesburg. Um, and then the other area we've been looking at and already did work on was um, at the back end, we went to a solvent extraction project uh, to get the molly out. 
it worked brilliantly. Uh, it's, a, it's a great process. However, again, not industry standard. Um, and then since we have moved forward, technology's moved along, and now we're, we've been testing an IX um, process, an updated IX process using a new IX Prill. And that has given us really good results of being able to separate moly from uranium in a single step. Um, and again, able to massively remove costs because we had to use ex very expensive phosphoric acid in the um, pre-fees. And so it looks like we can get rid of that um, completely and put in a very simple IX stream and then change the back end to be completely industry standard. So where I came from, Andrew, is I sat down last year after WNA and um, Tim Getzel kind of indicated that $50 was the number he was looking for. He, he said a high four, but I'll round him out at 50 bucks. And uh, he said the same thing again at the WNA this year. And so I went back to the, our guys, um, on a technical side and said, all right, guys, we now have to make this project give us a 20% return or greater at $50 uranium contract. What do we do to it? And so those are the things we've kind of been working towards. And we've been looking at contract mining. There wasn't contract mining before. We can get contract mining now. Um, that gets rid of a lot of capital as well. So that's where we have been focused um, on Matawella. It seems like Nazir has, with the 10% stake there, I, I think that's probably a pretty good deal for them. With Cominac coming offline soon, what was your feel for the motivation from the government to help get another operation online soon? Do you feel like now with, with Cominac coming offline and, and the actions they've taken with the Goviex stake, do you see that they're really motivated to get this thing going sooner than, than later? Yes, is the, is the simple answer to that. Uh, but I will say they are very pragmatic. I mean, they they get the uranium prices 20 something dollars and that nothing can be built. And that's why, you know, from a, a, a political standpoint of view, they were very clear that this was a project first stone laying when I was there. You know, that GoVX wasn't going to start construction tomorrow, um, that it would come with a better uranium price. Um, and so, yes, they are very motivated uh, and they're motivated in a way that which is, all right, we, we want to support you guys. We want to help you get to where you need to be. If you need something, then, you know, we, we won't stand in your way. We'll help get there. So it's not a case of you better well, bloody well build. It's no, we want to be there supporting you and helping you uh, and have you alongside. And it and it relates to a number of areas. You know, obviously, Common Act closing is not good when 60 percent of your exports every year is uranium and you're losing one of your assets you've got to replace it um it also relates to it's a big chunk of their budget um every year um so my air is also slowing down as well from some of the numbers i've seen and on top of that you know there is not 90 percent of the people live in 10 percent of the country so there's a small population up in the north but common act and Somayer were one of the major employers as well at the same time, and, and they need new employment in the region. Um, so, yeah, they're very motivated um, from that point of view to do that. Um, and they're doing it in other sectors as well. I mean, you know, they've got oil going. Uh, there are now gold explorers. Uh, there's a company called Sahel Mining. Got some very impressive gold stuff on the uh, east side of the Air Massif. You've got a company called Savannah Resources out of the UK drilling for oil there as well so you know it, it's not just us they are they're trying to support wherever they can um to get new development going in their country um across the board so you know that's why they they've kept the mining code consistent they don't change it it's stabilized i mean and another thing you know a lot of african countries get caught out with the with the vat on exports they spend the money and they suddenly realize they have to give it back. And so what the Nigerians said, well, we just won't have VAT on exports. Get rid of it. That way we can't fall into that trap. So, you know, we don't need to do that. We don't want to have those problems. So before we that problem arises, get rid of it. Um, and, and you're seeing the development coming through. I mean, there's a brand new airport down there as well that now in the army. I mean, state of the art airport. And uh, that was built by the Turks. 
Um, there's Tunisian money coming in as well. So, you know, in the past, it was very much French, bit of Chinese. Now there are a lot more, you know, sovereign nations looking to put money into Niger uh, because of what Niger is trying to do. And if the market conditions hit the status that GoVX management wants, how long do you see at this point will it take from the point of build out to ramp up? Are we looking at a three-year time frame, Daniel, or with these optimizations, are we looking at a shorter time frame? Yeah, you really. I would leave it as a three-year simply because obviously I've got to then pull it all together to the FS. I've got to pull my team together. I've still got to get all the bankable pulled together and I've got to get the offtake contracts and they all take time. Um, and then it effectively is a, a two-year build-out. We're trying to look at ways to shorten that. And so part of the feasibility study is to look at very much modularizing the design so that you can bring things in quicker um, and pre-constructed. But at the moment, you know, until we've done the detailed engineering for Andrew, three years is a reasonable round number. Very well. And how about Orano at this stage? Do you see motivation out of them to maintain or grow their exposure to uranium in Niger? Or do you see that they're reducing their presence there? Um, I think their biggest problem is they don't have a lot left. Um, you know, they have common X closing. Somair is coming to the end of its life at some point. You know, I think five, six years, and that's it for Somaya. I mean, the only thing they've currently got is Imararan. Um, and I, you know, I think you have to question the resource there at Imararan um, because, you know, it, it, it just, they started it and then stopped it and just didn't hang together. Where they go to from here, I, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, certainly my own discussions with them, my sense is they've got, they had gone very um, low risk. It was very, you know, Canada, um, Kazakh, Stan, but the problem is they don't really operate anything any longer. Um, they're in joint ventures with everybody um, without actually having any minds of their own. Um, so I think, you know, with an improving, and part of this is the problem where they came from, of course, because, you know, they had the whole Euromin disaster in front of them. So I think there has been a ratcheting back and a, a reconsolidation from Arana. And I think you're going to see, you know, then potentially change their position once the market recovered. Um, but they've taken a very conservative stance now while we've gone through this sort of uh, time of, of low pricing. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if it, that doesn't change. And I've actually seen that from the Chinese groups as well. I mean, I was in Beijing not so long ago, um, went there to, for a number of reasons. Um, and obviously talking to the major uranium um, purchasing companies. You know, and a couple of years ago, they only wanted to talk to you if you had a producing asset. And now they're very happy to sit down and talk about development projects um, and look at, you know, projects like Madawella and, and, and engage in a conversation. You know, that doesn't mean they're right in the checkbook yet, but you certainly they have moved a long way forward um, from where they were, which, you know, in the bottom of the market, all they wanted was production. Now it's, no, we've now got to find our material. We want to talk and have a conversation and you'll sit down for two, three hours on a meeting, technical meeting to go through stuff. Now there is a, as you know, there's a notable uranium competitor in Niger, uh, Global Atomic. Mm -hmm. Thoughts mm -hmm. thoughts on Global, Daniel, uh, and what good <laughs> things do they have going and what issues do you see for them going forward? Um, I try not to knock my peers. Um, I mean, they've got a good team there. I know, I know the new technical guy very well, Merlin. Um, the, you know, the, the, one of their benefits, obviously, is deeper down. They've got the very high grades. Um, they've got to get to those grades. Um, they, they're behind us on the curve, but, you know, uh, from a development point of view. But they've got a big resource. Um, they've got a government as well, Niger, who is supportive of them. Um, you know, I think where, you know, we talk to them fairly regularly. Uh, I mean, what they've been trying to do with Arano, um, you know, we can all still go down that path. I, I've always said to investors when I talk about us, it's like, you know, and I had this conversation with my board the other day where they were asking about Arano. I said, look, at the end of the day, I need to know what it's costing me and what costing Goviex before we can have a proper deal, a conversation with Arano about what any deal we would look like with them. You have to have a comparative. Um, Arano, you know, 
negotiate tough. So you need to know where you come from. And so, you know, I know that's been one of the strategies for them has been to look at Arano. A They've gone from Comanac now to looking at Somayer. But I've made it clear that, you know, our door is open as well. If we can get these technical changes through our project, um, then, you know, there's nothing to stop them coming to talk to us as well and saying, hey, we want to be part of what you're doing. Um, you know, they're now going through that permitting process. They've got to get their, their, their feasibility study delivered to the government and they've got to get their environmental stuff. And that takes time. Um, they're in a slightly different area to us. There's a bit more people down there than we have, um, but I don't see them having any major flaws. And they're just well behind us um, on, on the curve. But you know, it's an interesting project. And Goviax isn't considering any any type of uh, arrangements with Orano. Uh, there, there's a pure uh, drive at Goviax to to build a mine. Is that correct? No, that's what I was kind of trying to say just now, which is, you know, that's not been the case. I mean, we we act in a slightly different way. I mean, I when Global Atomic were out talking about MOUs, I was we were already in conversation with Orano nine months before that. You know, um, I'd been into their offices many times for meetings and talking about it. You know, the difference being that one, I want to make sure that whatever I deliver them as a product, I had a clarity on. So I wanted to get my technical side sort, sorted out because there's no point having a negotiation on price if you don't know what the specs of your material are going to look like. And we right. didn't want to deliver them the, the material straight mind. We still saw the value of up, the potential to upgrade, to reduce the volumes, to get a better grade um, because you get a better price on the other side. So it was like, all right, fine. But you, to do that, you have to send them the material. So we've been doing that test work. But the other side of this as well, there's no point in walking into comment, into Arano's office and saying, what are you going to charge me per ton for this material? Because one of their problems of that project is we tested it, technology, um, certainly the Common Act technology back in 2013. We did work on that. It's highly expensive. It uses a lot of acid and it and it's hot acid as well. Um, and so, you know, my strategy has always been, I know, I need to know what it is that I'm comparing about. You can't go into a negotiation with someone like Arano and not know what plan B is. So you have to have a plan A and a plan B. And so we keep going forward to come up with the best plan because when I walk into Arano, it's going to be, I'm going to get a capital saving. Great. But you're not going to, you know, I don't want to be killed on the operating cost. Right. Um, and that's the other issue that comes here, which is, you know, if, if they, it is a high cost operation um, from a from a processing point of view, you know, the uranium price has therefore got to get to a higher level to be able to make a P&L profit as well. So, you know, so let's say you went in there and, you know, we, we can get our cost down to 20, say, I'm using a round number, but going with them is 40. I could save the capital, but I've now got a $20 gap in my P&L anyway. Right. And so now my margins are small at the very top. So, you know, that's the issue that you've got to know what your, your alternative is in that conversation. So, no, we don't. Uh, you know, and one of the options for me as well, for example, with dropping the acid volumes that we need is I can go back to Arano as well and say, hey, guys, how about you just sell me acid rather than me build my own acid plant? You have two acid plants up here. What both what one's not used at all, and the other one's going to have spare capacity. I'm willing to buy acid off you, which will help you bring down your economies of scale. So there are other ways for us to talk to each other about where to go. Okay, and and it would probably be something that uh, obviously I, I I suspect that you guys would rather rather build out of mine. Uh, is that right? I think you have more control over your your life, uh, and the other problem will be if Air is due to close in six years, um, you could just get going. <laughs> right, right. And then you've got to go ahead and build your own plant anyway, um, because you'd be like, well, great, I got the cash flow going, but and, and now I'm going to go and do what I really wanted to do, which is put in a, a an up to date modern plant rather than a plant that was built in 1971. Right, which when Somayer was built. So you know, you you got to plan for the long term here as well. Uh, and then the other issue would be if that Arano wants to pull away, you're then left holding the baby with regarding all the liabilities that are existing up there regarding you know the last fifty years of tailings. 
and how do you extract yourself from that problem as well? Yes, yeah, good points, good points. Well, I wanna move on to, to long-term contracting. Can you share with us what management sees at Goviax is realistic minimum pricing coming out of offtakes from Mattawella? Can you share with us what minimum price terms you would be agreeable at Goviax uh, for long-term contracts? Hey, that's a lot of hindsight <laughs> or forward-looking going on here. Um, a range? You can't put it, you know, that, that's where you end up with, which is, you know, I've got, a, I've got a contract based on the market that's in front of us at the time we go into contract. Um, so the first side for me here is to get my cost down to a number that sets a minimum for myself so that I know what then becomes bankable. And, and this is something I've tried to explain to people as well is it, it is a Rubik's cube. The better the contract price that you can get, the better the debt ratio you can get on your project. And so you are balancing between your debt and your equity and your contracts. I have to make this project work in my view to be, to be damn sure that it goes ahead at something like a $50 price. Um, does that mean I will only accept a $50 price if the uranium price is going higher? I'll take as high as I can damn well get. What I think I would like to see and, and what I kind of, in my mind, I would like to see is some form of collared contract where I am getting downside protection. And I'm, while I may have to give some upside protection in a way, the difference between ourselves and many others is I have more than one project in GoBX. And therefore, you know, Maduella at the end of the day will operate for well over 20 years and probably go for a lot longer than that. So getting that underpin and getting it built is absolutely key because once it's going, it is the cash generator for the company to the long, right. long term. And well after I've gone and in my grave. Um, and so that is the key is to get through the debt. It is in Niger, it is debt financeable. And so a lot of what you do is driven by what the debt guys want as well. Um, and therefore, again, you're underpinning it. One of the risks you have with the debt side when you go in is they will they will analyze it based on a set of numbers and then they will put their debt, they will put their risk criteria in, you know, and they will say, all right, you're giving us this. Here's the long term forecast. Most debt guys will not look at the forecasts. They will always try and put in the worst case scenario and see how they can finance it. So, again, from our point of view, it's making sure that that worst case scenario is actually more than viable to underpin Maduella. And so therefore you're looking at the, you know, your contracting to make sure it gets debt financed. Um, as I said right at the beginning, there's no point in having a great feasibility study if you can't get it out of the first seven years. That's what, that's what it's all about when we do this stuff. And then if the market continues, we've always got Matanga. Matanga is really easy as a project. I mean, it's an open pit e-beach operation. Um, won't take long to get it up and running. And if the market continues to run, then you do that. And even in the case of Maduella, your program here is to make sure that the debt period is covered. And after that, you can then become more flexible than what you do and how you handle it. On 10 years of contract, for example, you could take five years of contract only. And that covers that because you're, I'm going to be looking at like a four-year repayment. So if I've got five years of contract, collared, let's say, let's say I've got 50 to 70. Um, after that, you can start unraveling those contracts and then say, you know, I'm very happy now. I'm producing a $20 cash cost. I've paid my debt down. Game on. Let's go for it. And do you see, Daniel, that some of that initial deal making will be done somewhere between the 40 to 50 range? Um, I think it'll be between the, the 45 and the 65 numbers, the kind of range I'm going to be looking at. Okay, very well. Because um, I've got to get the return. It's it's all down to the bankable return. Yes, yeah, absolutely. There's there's a lot of a lot of pieces that go into how you manage that that exactly. Govx Govx uranium pie and how that's going to be split up and how that's going to function. Well, following on to that, have there been any conversations with utilities, and is there a effort? towards a specific client region? Uh, and can you share with us what countries those conversations are originating from? I'm sure you won't share client names, but can you give us some jurisdictions you guys are, are focused on or have talked to? 
Not really at this time. Um, it's a short answer to that. Have we done a lot? No, we pulled back. We did have a lot of conversations early on when we started the process because things were looking good. With the uranium price dropping back, um, we pulled our horns in. Um, and part of this as well is there's no point in having a long-term contract discussion with somebody if you're not sure that you can deliver the contract. And so part of that is where we are as well, because you know, if we're going to talk to anybody, I need to be able to show them that we, if they're going to be willing to ha waste their time talking to us, and that is not a waste of time, that it's a conversation that GoVX is going to say, this is what I'm looking for, this is the contract structure I'm looking for, and the reason you should come with us is because one, here's the economics of our project, here's our conversation with the debt guy, so they're on board as well, there is a certainty towards you getting this product. You know, the big utilities do not want option agreements. They want to know that if they're going to take that time to cut a contract with you, that you're going to be able to deliver it to them. And consistently over that time period. And so that's very much part of what that conversation is going to do. Um, I'm looking at the way that we do it as well. So we've had some initial conversations, but the other thing is diversifying um, that spread. So it, 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 we're looking at the, the obvious jurisdictions outside of the US um, at the moment, but as we move forward, we'll look to um, spread that around as well. So we're spreading our risk from a deliverable point of view. Very well. And and when those conversations were going on, Daniel, has have you seen that there's been any change in terms of the, the posture? Has has GoVX, when, when those conversations were taking place, was, was GoVX pursuing the clients or were you having the clients approach you or was there a mix? It was predominantly, at the time, uh, it was predominantly us reaching out because people didn't know we were ready. So okay. it was us going out to say, look, we're now ready to start becoming part of this conversation. You know, we've got on quietly generally to get on and do our things in the background. Um, you know, and, and, and you know, most people know we're there, um, but people want to know you're ready to talk. And so that's what it is, is going out and saying, I'm now ready to have this conversation. Let's move forward. And Daniel, can you speak to the importance of having the support of the Friedland team and how critical will that relationship be as you finance and build out? So the key part of that is really is the relationships, particularly into the, the, the Far East market. Um, and, and you can see that from you know the way the Ivanhoe group operates. A lot of that funding um, that they've developed and, and structured has come from the Asian market and et cetera. So, you know, I was in China recently talking to different groups they have relationships with the Friedland Group as well. Some they were new as well. You know, one of the things I'm, I'm targeting as well in this, which is again, back to financing this project, which is, you know, there are EPC companies in, in China that, you know, are very comfortable working in Africa, but also have the support and balance sheet to provide the financing to go with the EPC contract at the same time. And so that's where that relationship is useful. Um, we also see it from other parts of the indirect parts of the Ivanhoe group as well, where investments that the Ivanhoe group have got into in other vehicles are developing relationships in North Africa as well. Uh, and there's money, you know, Tunisia, Turkey, UAE across. And so where you've got somebody like the free, like the Ivanhoe group that have big projects, they're meeting people who, you know, want to put funding into big projects. And they're like, part of that conversation is already, okay, so what else have you got in the pipeline that's coming along that we, we can have a look at? And then the communication's coming back to us and saying, well, you know, here's another one that we can go and look at next in the pipeline to, to widen the expanse. And does GoVX management remain of the position that the company really, again, is being set up to be an independent producer and that a sell-off to a major is unlikely? <laughs> I, I give my off-pat answer to this one all the time. You know, at, at the end of the day, you do not know when someone's going to turn up and deci decide to, to write you the check. But at the same time, whatever we do to our project to add value, to get it bankable, 
and to get it to be built is also adding value if somebody wants to come and buy it because it's upping the value that they will have to pay to get it through. So, you know, the further we get this thing along, you know, and remove risk is improving the chances of somebody turning up to say, thank you for finishing the feasibility study and lining the debt up, can we have it now? And we'll pay even more for it because you've removed the risk that's inherent rather than sitting here today and running around and saying, well, would you like to buy this project? You know, we don't know how it's going to be financed and, uh, you know, we don't know, we haven't finished the bankable on it yet. And so, you know, as part of all of those conversations you're having out there, you know, it, it, you test the water with the conversation and just see where people are, but you keep moving forward because you never know when you're having a conversation how somebody wants to come in. Do they want to come in and take everything? Do they want to come in at the project level only? Or do they want to come in at the GODIX level? Uh, you know, there are different ways that people can decide to take their investment uh, into, into anything we're involved in uh, at that time. So you are testing the water all the time um, to see where it, where it goes. Um, and, and we'll see where it go goes. I have to just keep adding value to the project and say, if we can turn around and show, you know, uh, potential buyers that we can get this cost down to, and the debt guys that we've got the OPEX down to say like $20 museum as a round number, then obviously everyone's going to look at that and going $20 plus the cost, that's 30. Let's say we're an all in $30. Well, hell, that's as good as MacArthur River almost. That's, that's something I would really like to have a look at. And oh, by the way, I can own that a hundred percent. Where are we at on capital structure? Uh, can you update us where we are as far as shares outstanding, who remain to be the substantial shareholders, and what is the outlook on capital needs over the next year? Uh, I think we're 431 million shares um, on issue. Um, there's about 130 warrants and options. A whole bunch of warrants will probably disappear at the end of this year if they carry on as they are, because there's, there's 22 million at 31 US. Um, we just put our accounts out. Um, and I can't remember what the cash position is on that. It's about one and a half million dollars at um, the quarter end. Um, you know, we have a burn rate that's about three a year. Um, so I'll let somebody do the math, sir. Okay, and substantial shareholders. Substantial shareholders obviously got the strategic ones, um, include which are always on our spreadsheet and Govin included in that, Denison, etc. We then have a number of large uh, private individuals who will remain nameless, who are holding fairly large blocks as well. Uh, and we've got a couple of big funds in there. Um, most of the uranium funds, I think, have got stock as well. Okay, and on the GNA side, Daniel, uh, how comfortable are you with current expenses and are further measures being taken on the GNA side to keep as lean as possible as we pass through this continued market stagnation? The one thing I'll say is I undercut my own budget every year. Um, and it's not that I over budget. <laughs> I do the opposite. Uh, we try and cut back. So we've we do, we've done a whole bunch of things for this year. For example, that whole transaction with the government and the mine opening. And we paid for that without actually having it in our budget. Um, so we run the company as lean as we can. Um, you know, I've always said to people, you know, I'm one of those CEOs that will always travel economy, no matter where I'm going in the world. Um, so whether I'm going to Vancouver or I'm going to Beijing, I'm at the back of the airplane. Um, you know, every cent counts uh, from that point of view. Um, and that's the way we operate the company, that we, we just keep everything as tight as we can. And can you speak to Govind and Robert for a moment? Are both of those gentlemen on the same page as far as the situation in this uranium market and where this market is headed? Would you say that they agree with you as far as the, the, the fundamentals and, and where we're headed? Uh, I can't speak to Robert because I don't know Robert's mind uh, on this at all. You know, uh, I, I deal with Govind uh, and Govind is very much on the same page. We had a, a long discussion at our board meeting last week um, and obviously we have the benefit of having Dave Cates on our board as well um, and you know there was a an agreement um, within the board on discussion and we all asked some of the negative questions as well to see if we were testing ourselves um, and yeah there's 
we like where we are and, and we like where we're going. And it's, it, you know, our strategy all the way through this as well has been to keep adding value where we can and not through the drill bit because we've got the pounds in the ground already. It's getting ourselves ready. There's no point in us just building pounds. If this cycle turns, the strategy for GoVX is we have a mine permit if the cycle turns, we have to gain the benefit of having that permit. We can't be waiting for a higher and higher uranium price and hoping that we can get going. We have got to benefit from it and we've got to be there first. Um, you know, and that was again underpinned by what we saw from the WNA fuel group, you know, that they presented the, re the reference case. So the market was in deficit. It needs new projects coming in. They need higher price and therefore, you know, GoVX has got to be a project that's slotting into that and is beating its peers to the case. Um, and so that's what we've done. But we've done it all the way along by doing, looking at, the, you know, stress testing our project the whole time and figuring out what we can do to make things better and add value to it for the least cost. And how about plans for 2020? What will you be accomplishing uh, this year at GoVX? Well, hopefully the uranium price is going up. So hopefully <laughs> I, I'm pulling the trigger on the financing and getting ready to build a mine at the end of the year. Uh, I mean, that's what I'm hoping for. Um, and that will include finishing the bankable. It will include all of the debt, the offtake and everything. So that's what we're planning for. But I have to wait to see that the market gives me the guidance to follow that route. Um, if it doesn't, then we'll be re-looking at what we do and trying to figure out why the market's not responding um, and figure out what we can cut where we can. We don't have a lot of staff um, anyway. We try and protect the assets that we've got. You still have to deliver reports to government. You still got to make your your land taxes, et cetera. You know, and I will look at what else I can do to, to us to get us better prepared uh, for when the market does recover. But I, I, I'm feeling pretty confident, I have to say what I'm seeing. Uh, and if we can get these costs down to where I think we can go, then the potential for building Maduella uh, is markedly improved. Well, Daniel, how about for potential investors who are on the sidelines listening? What would you say to them at this stage and at current price levels? Why should they look at GoVX now? The key, obviously, is the market itself. I think we've gone through a lot of change this year as a market. As I said right at the beginning of our interview, the, all the fundamentals have been great. It just hasn't played through to the price yet, and it will pay through to the price. Uh, I think from a GoVX point of view, you know, it comes down to the fact that GoVX has the potential to get first mover advantage and become a producer. Um, and on the back of that goes the re-rate. If you look around, the market needs new production at the kind of cost that we're trying to get ourselves to. I'm trying to compete against MacArthur River. That's what we're trying to do. And, you know, there are very few projects out there can argue that that's what they can achieve within a sensible time frame um and that's it you know yes you can hold some very interesting things in uh northern climbs but you may be waiting a very long time govx is a project that can turn to cash flow a lot quicker than that well daniel let's leave it there i really appreciate you taking the time to update us and good luck over at govx yeah, no problem thank you very much and always appreciate the questions from your listeners